Marriage is what brings us together today. Turn with us, if you would, in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. You've been to weddings, and everyone I've been to, nearly that new, married, beautiful couple does a special dance in front of everyone in which everyone watching it just swoons over the gorgeousness and beauty of their love being displayed in this dance as he leads her and she follows him. And then very soon after that, if not on the honeymoon itself, that marriage dance, relational dance, turns into a two-person tug of war. A fight for control. And add to that, men and women are just plain different, are they not? Ugh. One study said this, women feel their marriage is working when they are talking about it with their man. Men feel it's working when they don't have to talk about it. Amen? Yeah. Howard Hendricks defined marriage this way. He said, it's like flies on a window. Everyone on the inside wants to get out, and everyone on the outside wants to get in. Ugh. True, but ugh. So, this Sunday and next Sunday, we have great news for you. Marriage is what the sermons will be about. Today, I get the great pleasure of unpacking the S word for you women, submission. I'm so delighted. I am, but like, I, I'm sort of not. <laughs> the Lord gave me that straw and I shall do my duty diligently. And then next week, Monty will talk about the role of a man or as a husband. We must talk about these things. And the reason is we who are Christ followers, it would do us well to remember that no other relationship so mirrors our relationship with God than marriage. God instituted marriage, and so he designed it, and therefore he has the first, the middle, and the last word of how it's to be lived out, period. And although we're going to focus on you ladies today, let me say clearly, the verses I'm going to unpack for us today have way too many times been used as a club to keep women in their place and to justify the mistreatment of the women that God created in his image. And, and, and look, it's not as if I am not guilty of that as well at times. We cannot use the Bible to demean and abuse the gift that God gave us men. 
At the same time, you women folk, I want to whisper this, you're sinful too. <laughs> you can be mean too. You ever heard the phrase mean girls? It's funny how you women can get together and talk about these mean girls and how they're treating you, but then you have no awareness of how that might play itself out in your primary relationship. Boom. All the women's ears just shut down. <laughs> no, open them up. We have lots to learn this week and next week. We'll give you an incredible vision for your most important earthly relationship. I say to you, and I'll say it till I die, if it's not working at home, it's not working. That's how Christianity defines how important a marriage is. So big ears and tender hearts are needed. The first thing I want to do this morning is so crucial to understand how do we go from terrific dancing to, as Charles Barkley would say, terrible dancing, right? How did we get here? If you don't understand that, it won't make any sense to you. And then I will impact submission with five quick points. And then I'm going to end. You can anticipate this. Maybe the most glorious conclusion and ending I've ever given in my prestigious preaching career. <laughs> Thank you very much. And here's why. It comes from Jenna's notes of what she has taught women for 18 years with family life about what does it mean to be a wife. Well, you're going to hear from Jenna this morning. And I was as shocked. I didn't know what she was saying to those women. I just knew she was teaching biblically. I was shocked too. And laughing, you should have seen me laughing. I said, I can't believe you said that. So here we go. Terrific dancing to terrible dancing. How do we get here? It comes from Genesis 2 primarily, Genesis 3 and Romans 5. Just a little review here. Genesis 2, God made man out of the dust of the ground. As you remember, he instructed Adam not to eat of the tree of knowledge or he would die, then said, it is not good that a man is alone. It is the only thing that while he was creating that he said is not good. So he made woman out of man. And as I've said before, it had to be a relief to Adam because she looks so much better than the hippo. You know what I mean? God has orchestrated here the first wedding and marriage. And the couple gets to literally honeymoon in nirvana, in paradise, what could go wrong? In Genesis 2, just remember this, it's a note. Man is told to work and keep the garden, not Eve. It is man who is given the rules for living in the garden, not Eve. It is Adam who named the animals, because he has authority over them, not Eve. So in Genesis 3, when, when it goes horribly wrong, it is Adam that God comes looking for, not Eve, because he had the title of leader or headship. He is the one responsible for all that God had given him. You know, when a football coach gets fired, they don't talk to the assistants first. They go right to the head. It's just the way it works. In Genesis 3, the serpent comes to Eve, tempts Eve, and Eve eats the fruit. 
God comes on the scene and he says, what's up? God says to Adam, where are you? Again, he comes looking for the man, the one in charge. Adam says, I'm hiding because I'm afraid. God said, why are you afraid? And Adam said, because I'm naked or naked. He says, I'm afraid because of that. God says, well, who told you to be afraid because you're naked? Because you've been naked a long time and hadn't realized that you ate of that tree, didn't you, Adam? Adam's response, it was that woman that you gave me. It's your fault, God. She's crazy as a cricket in a hubcap. That's where that Hebrew phrase came from. Eve blamed the serpent and Adam. No one owned it, and the battle for control is on big time. From paradise to pandemonium in a blink of an eye. And here's what happened in the garden, Genesis 3. At the core of it, the order of God's design was flipped on its head. Here's how Paul addresses that in Romans 5.12. He says, Paul Paul writes that through one man, sin entered into the world. And his name was who? Adam. He didn't say sin entered into the world via a couple. It was through one man. And the reason? Adam was head, leader. Now remember, before the fall, God creates man And he gives the man the woman. And the man and the woman are to have dominion over all the beasts of the earth. The order there is God, man, and woman. But in the fall, that order was usurped. It was flipped. It was inverted. In the fall, the beast deceives the woman. Therefore, he exerts dominion over her. The woman tempts the man, therefore exerting dominion over him. And the man eats in order that he might be like God, trying to exert dominion over God himself. They flip God's created order on their head. And they paid for it. And you and I are paying for it. (laughs) Still. Here's Genesis 3.16 was the curse, the consequences of their sin. First, God to Eve. He says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And all the women said, he's not lying. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. It's interesting that that word desire means control or master or overtake. So as a result of the fall, the woman's natural bent is to covertly or overtly control her husband. She does not, it's not this natural desire to live under his leadership. She realizes quickly that her leader fails miserably. So taking over feels so natural for her. And then typically when she gets what she wants, she hates what she got. A passive man who does not lead her. The curse to Adam, again in Genesis 3.16. He says, your desire should be contrary to your husband, 
but he shall rule over you. That word rule is where we get the word to lord or lord over, to dominate. The Hebrew word, it's mashal. To mash her is what I thought. I said, it fits. Didn't I tell you the terrific Nance turns terrible? Or terrible? And now you know why. It's why Paul in Ephesians 6 says these words, folks, husbands, wives, parents, children, employee, employer. As he's going to address those, he says at the end of that, you do not in these relationships struggle against flesh and blood. There's an evil one who roars like, roars like a lion who is trying to rip these relationships to pieces. And you're looking at your spouse going, they're the problem. And that kills your marriage. Adam did not exercise or exert his God-given order of headship. He should have told his wife, no, I cannot eat of that fruit. You cannot eat of that fruit. We cannot eat of that fruit of the tree, but we can eat of every other fruit in the garden. And because he did not lead, because the wife, Eve, tempted him and reversed God's order, you and I live out in our marriage relationship the battle for that control. Do we not? Does anybody feel that? Nod your head if you're with me. If you don't understand this, nothing else will make sense in terms of marriage. Matter of fact, the Hungarian proverb put it this way, Adam ate the apple and all of our teeth still ache from his bite. <laughs> I thought, yes. So let me read Ephesians 5. I'm going to start with verse 18 to give us some context, okay? And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. Here we go. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. <laughs> First point about submission, there is a, the matter of it, the subject matter in itself. The context is so crucial for us to really get what Paul is unpacking here. So in verses 18 through 21 that I read, you get three results of being filled with God's Spirit. Paul's saying if you're yielding to the Spirit of God on a continual basis, it's going to dramatically affect three primary relationships in our lives. Verse 19, he says, the one who worships well. And I'm getting to the relationships later, but Paul says there's a result of being filled with the Spirit. One who worships well. Verse 20, one who is thankful to God always. In verse 21, 
you submit to one another out of honor or fear of Christ, that every believer is to have a posture, a posture and a heart to live out Philippians 2 that says, in humility, you count others more significant than yourself. And then he says there's three significant relationships that will be affected by that, that will defer to, serve, and love each other as God intends. Husband, wives, parents, children, and in our modern-day scenario, employee and employer. So in our text, submission is the way the wife is to live out this role. And next week, Monty's going to talk about, as I said, how to live out that role as a husband's, where it says a few verses later, for husbands to love their wives like Christ loves the church. That's a big-time job description. And this is the only way, submission and love. It is the only way to reverse the disaster of Genesis 3. It is our only hope for a godly marriage. Keep that in mind. So in this matter of submission, verse 22a says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands. I want you to notice how specific this command is. The wife is not to be submissive to all men, only to who? Her husband, to the man that is her man. Paul writes it another way in a parallel passage in Colossians 3.18. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And here's how John Piper, and I put this in your notes, defines the S word, submission. This is beautiful. For the woman, it is to recognize and honor the greater responsibility of your husband as head as the one responsible, as the one God will come to and hold accountable to supply your protection and sustenance, be disposed to yield to his authority in Christ and be inclined, all things of the heart, inclination to follow his leadership. But even when where a Christian wife may have to stand with Christ against the sinful will of her husband, which happens all the time, she can still have a spirit of submission. She can show by her attitude and behavior that she does not like resisting his will and that she longs for him to forsake sin and lead in righteousness so that her disposition to honor him as head can again produce harmony. The women who do that, the Lord Jesus sees that and he honors that. Elizabeth Elliot put it this way. She said, the fact that I am a woman does not make me a different kind of Christian, but the fact that I am a Christian does make me a different kind of woman because I have fully embraced God's idea in me as wife, as helper, as one who submits in my whole life as an offering back to him and all that he wants me to be. Well said, beautifully said. So, as I define what submission is, I think, it's, I think it's important that we define what it's not. Because if us humans, both inside the church and outside the church, have any propensity at all, it is to take something incredibly beautiful and needed and twist it and pervert it for our own justification and good. So let me be clear here. Submission 
does not mean a man is better than a woman. They're both created by God in incredible equal value and worth. Submission, well, the New Testament gives both men and women the same spiritual privileges of being in Christ. In Christ. There's not one thing a man can have that a woman can't have in Christ. But there's still this distinction as male and female. They are distinct in their roles as men and women. Thirdly, it does not mean agreeing with all your husband says. And the women said, go on now, preach it, big dog. You <laughs> know what I'm saying? <laughs> I got to get y'all back with me now listening. <laughs> I remember very clearly someone told me years ago, when your wife comes to you, especially my wife, who's an introvert, softer temper than me, I know that shocks y'all. But when she comes to me and says, I really need to talk to you about something. I don't like this, or I don't want to do this. I don't feel like this is a great decision. My ears need to get huge. And I remember very clearly driving down here nearly 20 years ago, and I looked at her and I said, if you smell anything, if you see any red flags about taking this job in Murfreesboro with Monty and Kimberly, you got to tell me. I think the Lord's calling us here. But if you're not all in, if he doesn't confirm that in you, I will not come. And on the way home driving, <laughs> I don't even know what's wrong with me. I, I just know. It's a powerful moment in terms of God's leading in her life. Look, 20 years later, it's confirmed. We are at Waldron Road exit on I-24, and I said, so what do you think? And she started crying and said, yeah, the Lord's calling us here. See, guys, that's huge. So she can disagree. Fourthly, men are not smarter than women. All the women said they are not better they're not more gifted. If a husband asks a wife to violate God's word, she is to obey God versus her husband. No questions asked. I'd even add to that. A woman, you can come to us as elders saying, my husband is asking me to do something that violates the word of God. And we will speak to your husband. Number six, because we love your husband and we love you. Emotionally or physical abuse is to not be tolerated. Women, you have the complete right to separate physically from your husband with a heart to reconcile. You have a right to get wise biblical counseling. You have a right to say no to him. You have a right to put up a boundary. It is not to be tolerated. But the heart of a submissive woman, Peter lays this out in 1 Peter 3. Put it in your notes. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their, what, who? Wives. A conduct, and I'm paraphrasing this in my own words, of respectful and pure conduct, not dolled up on the outside, but adorned in the heart with impressionable beauty of a gentle spirit, which is very precious to God.
So the matter of submission. Then there's the manner of submission, verse 22b. In the sense that there is a way that the woman is to submit to her husband. What is this way? He tells us, as unto the Lord. To respond to your husband as if you were responding to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because this is the will of Christ himself. And when you submit to your husband, you are submitting to the Lord. This is how Jenna defined it for the women at Family Lives Conference. She said, submissive, submission means for a woman to duck so God can hit your husband. <laughs> I was like, well, you'd been doing a lot of ducking. <laughs> I got busted upside the head a bunch. I was like, what was that for? And Jenna already said, like, Inside, she's like, because he's trying to get your attention, <laughs> you know. Bodhi Bauckham said this. He said, there are many women, women hear me here. There are many women who think they are in perfect submission to Christ. But their lack of submissiveness and respect to their husband indicates they are far from it. They are far from yielding to the spirit of God. You take that and do as you will with it. So there's a matter of submission. There's a manner of submission. There is a motive of submission. The phrase says, for the husband is the head of the wife. The motive is this is God's design for wives and husbands. So the motive is to obey. It is his to divine plan. Put it this way, just as a body submits to the brain, inside the head is by God's design, is it not? So when the wife submits to the husband who is the head, same is same. If you see a body that is not responding to the head, immediately we know with great empathy there's something wrong. There's something that is not as it should be. This person is not going to flourish as a full human being, and neither will marriages flourish when the wife is trying to be the head of the relationship. So the motive is to respond in a way that follows God's creative order, to obey God's intentional design for a wife, for a woman. Then there is the model of submission. The model of submission, verse 23b. Even as Christ is the head of the church, it says, his body and is himself its what? Savior. Paul is saying to the wives, you are to submit to your husband as the church, the body of Christ, submits to Christ. With the same willing heart that the church has in obeying Christ, the wife is submit to her husband. We know this is significant in that as Christ followers, we are joyfully and gladly. It's a great honor to submit to Christ because we do what? We recognize that Christ is our protector, our leader, our deliverer. So we yield to him. And I want to say this. Wives, your husband is not your spiritual savior. Jesus is. 
but your husband should display, and I know I'm getting, I'm, I'm, I'm tinkering now in Monty's sermon, but your husband, husbands, you should display to her a growing sense that you are Savior-like because of how you protect her and care for her and love her and serve her. That's on, sorry, Monty. I, you ain't got nothing to say now. <laughs> That was profound right there, spirit-led. Spirit <laughs> and then there, lastly, there's the magnitude of submission. Verse 24 says, But as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let me do this. Let me take us to Titus 2, verses 3 through 5. Titus 2 is, is the model or the branding we have given our women's ministry here. T2 uh, pod, right, the discipleship ministry. It's a great few verses for women. It says this, and it's in your notes. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God, God may not be reviled. Now, this text is telling older women to teach what is good to younger women. The word good there is noble or excellent. Probably means all of life. Verse 4 says this, so as to train young women to do what? To love and submit to their husbands, to love their children, to training in self-control, relax, easy, steadiness, purity, sexual faithfulness in all ways in marriage and to their husbands, working at home. Uh, the Proverbs 31 lady, and all through the scripture, God has said, and it's another message, but the home, yes, you can work outside the home, but your home is to be your priority. And we're only, look, have so much time and energy. And when your work or anything in your life supersedes your priority of caring for your home, you're not following Christ well. I wish I could say it plainer, but that's what he says. And your, your husband suffers. Your children suffer. Your home suffers. And I think you suffer as well. And she is kind. Obviously, these are commands that are be to be obeyed, and it happens by yielding to God's spirit. Feminist author Vivian Gordnick said this, being a homemaker is an illegitimate profession, and at the heart of radical feminism, she says, at least she's being honest, is to show this. Yep, our world says everything I have said, our world says you are crazy. They would be radical rage if this was put on some kind of mainstream media. And God says, no, this is sanity. This is glorious. 
the call I have on a woman's life as a wife and as a future wife is glorious. Why do we all of this? The magnitude of submission, look at in the verse 5. So that the word of God may not be reviled or dishonored or slandered. <laughs> wow. What's at stake? There's the honor of the word of God because if we say we believe God in his word and act antithetical to that, that is not, that, look, the world needs us to see doing marriage God's way. It's attractive because they haven't figured it out and won't ever figure it out. Let me give you some of that practical wisdom. I, I, the text isn't technical in a sense. It's hard to understand, right? It's hard to do. <laughs> it's hard to discern. That's what maturity is, discerning more and more. How does this work itself out? As a husband, how do I work it out to love my wife? As a wife, how do I learn to submit and respect my husband? So I'm going to take you to Jenna's notes. I pulled that notebook out yesterday. Again, I knew the topic. I knew, generally speaking, what she was teaching because I know the Bible, right? And I knew the outline, but I didn't know the details. And I could never go really listen to her, one, because it's a room of 800 women and I ain't allowed, you know what I mean? And secondly, I was always teaching in the other room with the men about being a husband and a dad. And so I just would hear good things, but I got her notes out. My Lord. Proverbs 14.1. Women, this is going to be so sweet to your soul. Let me just say this. I have a great wife. She has grown so much which in turn inspires me and challenges me to grow to. Proverbs 14.1 says, A wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Not literally, she's writing in her notes, ripping bricks off the home, but it's relational destruction. Again, these are words, her words. How do women do this? First thing Jenna put was by prioritizing her children and family or friends over her husband. Happens so easy for women, she says, because we're emotional and we're so deeply connected to those children, especially. It is possible to make your family, she says, and children an idol. It should be God, husband, children, then everyone else. So when you flip God's created order, it's both unsubmissive to God's plan and disrespectful to your man. I thought, that's a poem that I want to repeat all the time. And Jenna says, I can say with my mouth that Jeff is my priority, but it must be reflected in my actions. Secondly, number two, <laughs> bless her heart, do not roll your eyes and huff at your man. <laughs> why, would I, why would she say that? Because she is Miss Eye Roller and Huffer. <laughs> And look, I get it now. She grew up in that environment. That's how they dealt with conflict. They didn't have it. They just showed nonverbals. And then someone would say, are you okay? And, and they would say, oh, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> you know. And so I got eye rolling and huffing. Hey, what's for dinner? <laughs> what she heard was, 
you ain't got dinner ready yet? And I was like, in my mind, I was thinking, I'll just, we'll go out and eat if you want, you know. <laughs> I'm just trying to help you. Lord have mercy. I wasn't a great student, but it was hard being a student of my wife, you know. <laughs> Very confusing. Number three, to a man. To a man, she says, respect equals love. And respect, and Monty will talk about that next week. And respect is a choice to receive your husband as a gift from God in spite of his faults. She tells the ladies, you know, you have faults too. And all the men said, y'all are scared. They, <laughs> they so scared. Come on, man. Be a man. Man, you women got them boys, they locked down. <laughs> I told y'all y'all needed this talk. And so in this respect, she says, empowers your husband to become the man God created him to be. Let, matter of fact, let me share a secret with you women. Men run to where the cheers are. She heard me say that. She studied me. That's how God wired men. Where will he run to? Will he run home to you or will he run to work or somewhere else? Cheer for your man. Also, communicate and respect involves your attitude, your words, and your actions. Your husband is like Adam ultimately accountable for the spiritual and emotional direction of the home. Men hear that. But do you want to hurt your man or help your man in his mission to lead the family? God created you, she says, to be his helper, a beautiful biblical word where the Holy Spirit is also so-called what? Our what? Helper. Yes, an indispensable teammate of God's plan for the family. And how do you agree with, disagree with him? What tone do you have? How do you approach him? Is it with Philippians 2 in mind? Four, she mentions gratitude. Here's what she says. I've been in seasons. Man, I was, this is unbelievable. Y'all gonna love it, but... Says a lot about me. She says, I've been in seasons where I could not see anything I wanted to express gratitude for with Jeff. Because frankly, I did not even like him at the time. I mean, how is that even possible? <laughs> I mean, I know she believed it. But if you knew me and you knew her, I mean, I know you're thinking, that, that woman's lost her mind, right? Then I prayed to God to show me <laughs> just one thing that I could genuinely express appreciation for. Just one? <laughs> and when I did, his whole countenance would change. And I knew I was on the right path. She added, that we do this because Christ lavishes love on us when we have done nothing. Then she mentions the word praise. Tell your husband you are proud of him for every choice he makes, for good over evil, for right over wrong, for God's way over his own selfish way. And then she reveals herself. She said, I used to think that is what he should do 
And so I would never say anything because I thought he might get the big head. I already have a big head, okay? It's huge. Howdy doody head. But in reality, she said, what I've learned is that it so energizes him in a way that I do not understand. So true. And then she said, never, number six, never criticize him in public or in front of others. After speaking all weekend at a family life conference, Friday night and Saturday, every woman was so excited to hear from Jenna on Sunday morning and said, how does, who is this woman that lives with this man, right? I mean, I set it up for expectations. And so women would come up to her and say, you know, I can't believe he said that or da-da-da-da. And, and, and it's with a little negative bent on me, joking, kidding. And Jenna would never kid back. She would say, I love him. He's a great husband. And they were like, well, I know I was just kidding. She said, I'm not. She would shut down all that. And now, let me tell you this. She works as a nurse. And I can tell you over the 20-plus years as a nurse, the conversations that women have about their man publicly is horrific. That's how the world operates. They rip them and nag them and beat them verbally. They're idiots. They're goofballs. Christ-following women don't do that to their man, and neither do men. And then lastly, she says, believe the best and let add ask lots of clarifying questions the way you would want him to do with you. Let me wrap our time up this morning for so what, and then Monty's going to come up with a time of prayer for our marriages. And this is this. This is God's vision for your marriage. God's vision. And Jen and I, when we got married, what we needed was a vision. What we needed was what does it look like? Men, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Women, submit and respect your husband as unto the Lord. There it is. Now, to execute that, we failed miserably a thousand times, but the vision was clear. How do I keep learning to love my wife? How does she keep learning to submit and respect in a godly biblical way? Hard conversations, and I, that's where we started. Your so what is this. This week, I want you to schedule a time with your spouse. And the woman needs to ask her husband, how can I submit and respect you more than I'm doing? And listen and take notes. Because next week, you're going to get to ask the question. That's your homework. Start there. Take a minute.